Good morning, everyone. It's so nice to be worshiping with you today. Before we jump into the Word, um, I do want to ask you like a biblical trivial pursuit question, and that is, why was there no card playing on the ark? Because Noah was always standing on the deck. That's a far better response than the first service. That's for sure. How about this one? How did Moses make his coffee? You can say Hebrews, but that's not my, the answer, right? Holy ground, that would work. I like that. How about one part coffee, two parts water? I think I'm going to have to get my joke writer a little more money. <laughs> so praise the Lord. Let us go into God's Word today. We are continuing our Irresistible Church uh, series. Um, last week we looked at how we're going to be an irresistible family, and we spoke about how the church is more of a family, even more so than an institution or an organization or just a Sunday morning event. And to really drive this home into our thinking, we even sang a famous disco song last week. Who remembers it? From Sister Sledge. We are family. Amen? Look at somebody right now and say to them, we are family. Go ahead and say that. Okay. You know, you know, okay, he can't help it. He can't help it. And we said the way that we get into the family of God is not by birth or by creation. It is by asking our Heavenly Father to adopt us into his family by the basis of our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, leader, and forgiver. And we said, as we pointed out last week, that our family never ever declines, but it is always growing. Did you know that? Somebody brought that to my attention last week. I thought it was quite phenomenal to think about because the family of God is not just on earth, it is also in heaven. So it is always increasing. But today I want to talk about the family as well in terms of how our Heavenly Father expects us to treat one another. Who's pumped about that this morning? All right, we'll get into it. Now, there's a good chance that each of us has grown up in one of the six basic family designs. You know what they are, but have you ever heard of the nuclear family? No, it doesn't mean it's explosive. Oh, come on, help me out here this morning. Okay, the nuclear family consists of at least one mother, one father, and 1.2 children. It is the traditional or the classic family that we saw in the 50s and 60s primarily through the TV series, who remembers it, Leave It to Beaver, with June and Ward Cleaver. Now, the single-parent family uh, is a family where one parent is raising at least one child. The third type of family is what they call the extended family. That is where uh, adults, either by relationship or by marriage, more than one, more than two, at least three adults are living together 
uh, primarily because of care needs or economic circumstances. And then there's the childless family, and there's really uh, that's really uh, uh, no description required on that one. And then we have the step family, also known as the blended family. This is where parents and children from different families of origins are blended together through marriage and live together under the same roof. And then the sixth one is the grandparent family. Now some of you might be quite familiar with this type of family. The grandparent family is where grandparents are primarily responsible for raising their grandchildren. How many know that in America this is the fastest growing family type? As of today, approximately 20% of all families in America are grandparent families. Now embedded within these six basic family types are 16 family systems. These systems have been plotted on a graph known as the circumplex model. Say that with me if you will. The circumplex model. Now the circumplex model which I've been using for about 25 years uh, for premarital counseling and for marriage enrichment. The circumplex model seeks to diagnose on a continuum really two features about your family of origin. Family cohesion and family flexibility. So when we think about family cohesion, was your family close? Your family of origin? If so, how much? How close? Was it really? And how is your family in terms of flexibility? How did it handle change and stress and trauma throughout the years? And so this is very important to know this, and you'll see why in just a moment. And then another feature about families is where you were born in the birth order, or your birth position, so to speak. Now let me just say, I'm, when I'm, the descriptions I'm about to read to you uh, do not come from me, but through good social science. So please do not shoot the messenger if these descriptions aptly describe who you might be. Do we have any first children here this morning? We do have some first ones. Stand up for a moment. I want everybody to see the first children so we know how to blame in just a moment, okay? I'm kidding. You may be seated, all right? So... First children, and catch this phrase, generally characterized, all right? So say that with me, generally characterized, okay? You're very special. I know none of this fits you, okay? Are you ready? They are overly responsible along with being thinkers and judgers, all right? So, and these are very brief descriptions, by the way. Do we have any middle children? If you're a middle child, stand up. If you're not the first or the last, if you're a middle child, look at all these glorious and wonderful people like myself. Okay, this is awesome. Now stay there for a moment. Stay there. Middle children are generally characterized as more relational and easygoing people-pleasers negotiators, and peacemakers. Let's give a hand to the middle people right now. I mean, they're so awesome. All right. And you may be seated. Now, do we have any last children here this morning? All right. All the spoiled, rotten brats stand up. Okay? All right. Let me tell you 
about you just a moment. Generally characterized as playful. Playful, attention hungry, and self-centered. 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 Okay, selfish. Okay, I'll get it out. All right. You may be seated. Let's give a hand for our last uh, children as well. Now, like I said, the operative phrase here is generally characterized. Yes, there are exceptions that actually prove the rule. So please don't shoot me at the end of the service. Now, added to the family design and the circumflex model and the birth order is an overriding massive issue. And that is if your family of origin suffered any kind of abuse or addiction. How many do you know that abuse and addiction has a way to paralyze and to dis make families dysfunctional or unhealthy like nothing else? So as you can see, people are complicated. Do you know why people are complicated? Because families are very, very complicated. It's, we're all just one big hot mess, aren't we? Now, full disclosure, I grew up as the second child and firstborn son of a traditional nuclear family of six with three sisters and no brothers. Please pray for me, will you? Now, I came into this world 11 months after my married mother of 17. She was married at 16. She had a child. And then she went to her Italian Catholic mother-in-law, bearer of 10 children, and asked her a question. Can you get pregnant if you are breastfeeding? And my Italian grandmother said, absolutely not. And I entered the world 11 months later. Kind of like by mistake, but how many know it's never a mistake in God's eyes, right? Now, according to the circumflex model, my family of origin could be classified as inflexible and disconnected. It was made highly dysfunctional because of alcohol addiction. And that's why I ask for you to pray for me constantly, as we're always getting over our childhood, aren't we? How many of you know that's what adulthood is always about, right? And how many of you know that the day that you become an adult is the day you stop blaming your parents? Amen? Anybody you do that yet? You stop blaming your parents. Come on, laugh a little bit. Help me out here. Now, this brief overview is just to let you know that your family design and dynamics have shaped you. They've shaped you into who you are today. Nobody grows up in a vacuum. Nobody is totally isolated or independent of their families. They have shaped you. And whether that shaping is good, bad, or indifferent, it doesn't matter. You have been shaped. So in every situation that you and I enter, guess what? We're not just bringing ourselves. We are bringing our family. And the point is, is that not that we can ever get away from that, but we really, really have to be aware of, self-aware of how we've been shaped, especially when we enter into the body of Christ. We especially 
have to really get this when we come to the family of God. Now, here's why I'm being Captain Obvious on this point. I see it happen all the time. It's not like when we get saved, when we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, when we become members of a church, that we are instantaneously made perfect or made whole or made totally sanctified. As you know, if you're a good Methodist, John Wesley always asks his people, are you going on to perfection? And the answer is yes, because I don't want to go on to imperfection, even though I am imperfect now. I have seen way too many times that if we truly are the family of God on earth, then a lot of people get upset because we bring our luggage, we bring our baggage, we bring our stuff to every situation that we encounter, every social situation that we encounter. And therefore, some people get really upset when Christians act like non-Christians. How many do you know that we should? Put your hand up. All right, four of you did. That's progress here. It really is, right? So when Christians are acting non-Christians, they're probably living out some kind of experience or some kind of type. Or like we like to say, they are pressing some red-hot button from their family of origin from which they've never been healed. We're always walking around with our warts, our pimples, and our flaws, and we will until the day of Jesus Christ in his second coming. Now, how many know that it's okay to be not okay? Put your hand up. The church is not filled with a lot of perfect people. In fact, none of them are the moment I showed up. However, we need to really, really understand that when we face disappointment, when we face discouragement, when we bring a great deal of idealism to the family of God in the church, we are bound to be disappointed. Because we are, as the scripture says in Ephesians, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. God is at work in us, making us more and more like Jesus Christ himself. But we have to be aware of how we've been shaped so that we do not mistreat one another as we respond either wittingly or unwittingly to the events and experiences in our family of origin and bring that to the family of God. So I'm going to get back to this question. How does our Heavenly Father want us to treat one another as being the family of God on earth? Now, how many of you have the great joy of being a parent? Put your hand up. You did, most of you here. You had expectations for your children, didn't you? And uh, as I said in the first service, uh, my son, being uh, 22 more months, I believe it is, or 24 months, uh, older than his little sister, although he was a great kid, he was never allowed to roughhouse his sister. We just never wanted him to treat her in that way. Well, how are we to treat each other? Well, in the New Testament, there are approximately... 40 what they call one another commands or reciprocal commands. These commands are based upon the back half of the great commandment. How many do you remember it? And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look at somebody right now because your neighbor is sitting right next to you 
and say, I will love you as myself. Go ahead and say that right now. These one another commands are also based upon the golden rule that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 7.12. Who remembers it? Do unto others, then split. No, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. They're also based upon another command that we should spend time on, and we might in the future. Galatians 6.10, do well to all people, especially those of the household of faith or the family of God. Now we could just go ahead and lay out a 40-week sermon series on these one another commands. That's how vitally important they are. Or we could just do them all right now and be here till about 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. What are you into? We'll bring in some pizza if you're ready to go. Okay, so, but we will zero in on one this morning. And that one is going to be Romans chapter 12, verse 10. This is a piece of that scripture. But it says from the New Living Translation, love one another with genuine affection. Okay, so say that with me because it's that important. Love one another with genuine affection. And then the back half of it is outdo one another in showing honor to one another. It's all kind of tied in. But I really do want to focus on this particular scripture. As you probably know or heard or studied, there's about four basic concepts or understandings of love in the ancient Greek world. Three of the types are used in the Bible. Allow me to explain. First of all, there's this word agape. Have you ever heard of it? Agape, right? Okay. Agape, like from John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should never perish but have eternal life. How many of you love agape? Right? Agape is the most common word to describe God's love for humanity. There are four features of God's agape. And first of all, it is proactive. It is unconditional. It is sacrificial. And it is eternal. How many know you can't buy that kind of love? right? Being proactive, unconditional, uh, sacrificial, and eternal. The second kind of love that was used throughout the Greek world was this term called philia. Will you say philia with me? Philia. What does that sound like to you? Okay, philia is the term for friendship love. Do you have any friends? Put your hand up if you have a friend. I, I don't mean paid ones. Not paid ones. Do you have any unpaid friends? If you do, the love you have for that friend is philia love. We actually have a city in America named after this kind of sibling, friendship, family love. Do you know what it is? Philadelphia. Anybody from Philadelphia? Oh, thank God. I am from Pittsburgh, and we have a long rivalry with them, as you know. But how in the world... Can Philadelphia be called the city of brotherly love when at a football game some 15 years ago, they booed Santa Claus? I mean, come on, Philadelphia, live out your name, amen? And so that is like a family love. We have an example of a uh, friendship love, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament. Who remembers the story of David and Jonathan? 
they loved each other more than a man loves a wife, is what we're told. I mean, they were really, really close. And they had an undying commitment to one another as friends. In the New Testament, we see this philia love, uh, phila'o love, if you will, when Jesus, in John 15, 15, said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but now I call you friends. How many would love to hear Jesus say that to you? I now call you my friend. The third kind of love, um, it is a word that's not used in the New Testament, is eros. Now, what does that sound like to you? Eros. If you think erotic, you're absolutely right. That describes a sexual or a romantic love. Now, if you want a godlier or healthier view of Eros, please never again watch the halftime of a Super Bowl as long as you live. Amen? That was a horrible and a travesty about the morality, of a uh, morality in America today. And if you want a godlier and healthier understanding of Eros, don't get on the internet, please. And don't pump in the word Eros into Google search. Um, your eyes will fall out if, in fact, you do. So don't do it. If you want a better understanding of God's blessing and God's joy of Eros between a husband and a wife, go ahead and read the book of the Old Testament called The Song of Solomon. It is a graphic novel. <laughs> it's very, very interesting. And if you do it with your spouse, I guarantee you, it will rekindle the original spark you shared a long time ago. But that's the third concept of love. The fourth one is what we find in Romans 12.10 this morning. Love one another with genuine affection. Now, the Apostle Paul is struggling to describe a love amongst the brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, came up, he tried to find a love that was not quite like agape because, you know, that's God's love for us. And more than Philadelphia love or brotherly love that you see in the secular world, so he created a compound word or a hybrid word. And he called it phil from philia, storge, another term for love. Now, the indispensable quality and dimension of the love that the family of God has for one another. I love the descriptors where he says it's a warmly affectionate, fondness-filled, utterly devoted love towards one another. Now, how many know that's impressive? How many know that's impressive? How many know that's impressive? <laughs> A warmly affectionate, fondness-filled, utterly devoted love for the family of God. That's incredible stuff. And that is the type of love, since it's a one another command, that is to be shared, that is to be experienced, that is to be reciprocated all of the time within 
the body of Christ. Phil Storge. Say that with me. Phil Storge. Warm affection, filled with fondness, utterly devoted kind of love. Now look at somebody sitting next to you in the pew right now. Just go ahead and try it. Go ahead. And really ask yourself this question. Do you really love that person sitting next to you right now with warm affection, fondness, and utter devotion? Now look at the person behind you. On the side of you. In front of you. It doesn't count if it's already your family member. This is the kind of love, the indispensable quality of love, that Paul created a Greek word for to describe the love that the brothers and sisters in Christ are to have for one another. If you will, this is kind of like Philadelphia of love on steroids. It is far greater than any friendship love in the world. Now let me ask the question as we come to conclusion today. How many of you believe that God has brought you here by his spirit? Put your hand up, please. I've been working with a, a newer person um, who came and, um, you know, they said, well, you know, kind of, sort of, we're just, uh, we came and uh, we like what we heard, but you know, we're just church shopping. How I many you know that church consumerism is not in the Bible? This is not a used car lot, amen? This is the family of God. And if you are a Christ follower today, that means that God has directed you through his spirit to come here and to be a part of this family. It's how he practically does his adoption agency. So you're not here by mistake. I don't believe that at all. You are here to help us build an irresistible church for the glory of Jesus and for the sake of others. And this church, if it's going to become irresistible, will be filled with warm affection, fondness, and utter devotion towards one another. Amen? Now, how many of you love love? Put your hand up if you love love, right? How many would like to say, yes, that's it? If I go to church anywhere, it better be filled with warm affection, fondness, and utter devotion. Amen? That's the kind of church that I would sign up with, sign up for every day of the week and twice on Sundays. And so it is our job, our job as Christ followers at Bay Point Church to create that kind of experience for everybody in the church and everybody who comes to the church. Amen? Now this is where our discussion of family design and dynamics really comes to play. Now let me just say tenderly and sensitively, if you have come out of a family that was loving, that was affectionate, that was healthy, that was supportive, do you know how much you are blessed today? Do you really know how blessed you are today to come out of such a family. So because you have been so blessed with such a wonderful family of origin, you have to lead the way on demonstrating 
warm affection, fondness, and utter devotion to the family of God. Amen? Everybody take that finger, pointer finger and put it right into your chest right now. Amen? It's your job. Now, I absolutely did not come from a family of origin that was loving, supportive, or filled with fondness. But I am still that because I'm Italian. And how many know that some stereotypes are true? Right? So because, despite what I experienced in life, I constantly ask God, the prayer of Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that he would pour his love into me, his agape love into me, through his Holy Spirit. And here's how it works. As he pours his love, his, remember, proactive, sacrificial, um, eternal love into us, that converts into Phil Storge, warm affection, fond, utterly devoted towards one another. Do you see how that works? Okay. So I'm also, I would like to let you know, I'm also left-handed. So how many of you know that lefties are, have big heads and big hearts? How many do you know that? Now, do we have any Italian left-handers in the building? If you are, come up here and hug me right now. Okay. But we're gonna, I'm going to hug you anyhow. But seriously, if you came from a family of origin where there wasn't, there was not love, affection, maybe there was abuse, maybe there was an addiction. I can honestly say that God wants you to experience the philstorge that he has blessed the body of Christ with. Even some of us have gone to churches, church families, if you will, that did not have any philstorge. How many of you know that is not God's will for his church? It is not God's will. So what I'd like to do is two things, just real quickly. The first is to cast a vision. A vision from here until eternity. That we might be a church that has a reputation, more so than any other thing, that is warmly affectionate, filled with fondness, and utterly devoted to one another in love. How many of you think that's a worthwhile vision? Amen? And the second thing I would like to do is pray a prayer for anybody who's been like me, who has come out of a very dysfunctional, chaotic family. I've had, do you know how many years of counseling I've had to have? It's endless. I think I'll be in counseling in heaven because of it. But that is only to say that God loves working on broken vessels of which I am one. And I just want to pray for you. My heart goes out for anybody who did not get those glorious things every healthy family provides for their children. And I want to make sure that our church becomes a church, is a church, it's always a church, that shares, that expresses, that grows in Phil Storge. Warm affection, fondness, and utter devotion towards one another. Will you pray with me?
good and gracious God. Thank you that the church is just not something we do on a Sunday morning. We can never generate Phil Storgay in one hour of the week. Can't do it. But God, you have called us to do life together. To experience your agape love converted into Phil Storgay love for one another now and forevermore. And I would like to pray especially for those who have been hurt, who have been harmed. Maybe by family of origins, maybe even from other churches. And God, I just want to ask you to provide your healing love, your healing concern, your healing miracle, miracle for each and every one of these people. We live in a fallen and a broken world. And we know that the enemy of our souls wants to break us even early in life through unhealthy family backgrounds. But God, we thank you that you are the loving Heavenly Father. And we will not view you through the lens of our family of origins, but we will view you through the biblical lens, whereby we are no longer children of fear or slavery. We were children of adoption through Jesus Christ and through the greatest family of all. The family filled with warm affection, the family filled with fondness, the family filled with utter devotion. So Holy Spirit, come now. Fill us with your agape. Heal us, O oh God, from whatever we endured, whatever we suffered. Not only so we can share and express Phil Storgay in our congregation, but that we can minister to other people who may have suffered similar fates in life. Give us a heart towards those who were so unfortunate as we ourselves become a place that is filled with your love and filled with your joy. In Christ's holy name, I pray all of this. And we all said,